The scripture reading for today is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Now let's pray. Father, we, we come before you this morning and we recognize that um, you are a sufficient God. 
And as we evaluate the life of Moses, as we continue to study this, this man, we realize that he was just as deficient as we are. And we realize that you are just as sufficient as only you can be. So Father, I pray that you set aside all the excuses, all the distractions. Father, I pray that you set me aside so that your word may go forth. I pray that my language will not be a bear between you and your people. Or I pray that you give us clarity and you give us direction through your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in chapter three last week, uh, Pastor David talked about this, this opening um, idea of the burning bush. And um, in chapter three, uh, God has answered Moses and giving him like two um, explanations for his objections. And, uh, and as we've seen, the, con- the conversation will continue. So Exodus chapter three and four is just, just so we remember, it's one long conversation between God and Moses and God is going to begin to explain to Moses that, hey, listen, I have chosen you to be my mediator between my people and me, between Pharaoh and me. And now in Exodus chapter 4, we're going to realize that God's going to make Moses the mediator between him and his brother Aaron. Now, in this process, I believe that God is going to actually have to show Moses that he has chosen Moses to be that mediator, but the mediator doesn't work because he's powerful enough, but because God is sufficient, that God's power is enough. All right, so let's, let's dive right into this text, Exodus chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 1. Actually, I want to do uh, chapter 3, verse 22, because if you remember last week, God, the, the, the last part of the conversation before we Uh, study this text today is God made a promise to Moses and and this is what he says in verse 22 look with me in there he says every woman will ask her neighbor and the one who uh, who happens to be staying in her house for items of silver and gold and for clothing you will put these articles on your sons and daughters thus you will plunder Egypt God has made a promise that when God rescue these people to go and worship him, they will not leave the place empty-handed, okay? So now, verse one of chapter four, listen to what he says. Moses answered again, and if they do not believe me or pay attention to me, but say, the Lord has not appeared to you, which literally means in my house, when I deal with my kids, it's all about me, 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 me. I, if, they, if they don't believe me, if they, if, they, if, they don't, if, if they don't pay attention to me, and then he says, what if they ask the question, uh, has, has he really appeared to you or to me? This is, this is a demonstration that Moses' first objection is based all upon him. That his objection before God and his concern before God is that he's going to be afraid of being rejected. Now, do you remember what happened 40 years before this? When he was still in Egypt, and he tried to be the mediator between his, between his people and the Egyptians, and all the things that took place, that he put himself in that position as a mediator, and he ended up having to leave that place because he made bad decisions because God was not in control and not leading him, but now God is. And it's, 
in one way, this is, a, this is a good concern to have. And I say good because he's not rejecting God's concern. He's just saying, hey, w- w- what, if, what if they don't believe? Now, let me put in perspective for you. I had never known you before. Let's just imagine we've never met before. And I come to you and I say to you, I was just in the desert yesterday. I had my sheep with me and I saw this bush. It, and you're not going to believe it. It was on fire. No, but it was not just on fire. It was on fire. I mean, it did not stop from being on fire. It was just this little thing that was on fire and I was there with my sheep. I don't know about you, but where I come from, they would ask the question, what kind of stuff are you smoking? Okay, what did what, was the McDonald's Happy Meal not so happy? I mean, what's, what's going on here? I, this guy is asking God good questions. What about this? It's not, it's not a fear that I don't want to go. It's a legitimate question, right? It's a legitimate question. But what Moses is concerned in here is this, that he's going to go back to Egypt and that he's going to introduce this God who's supposed to be the God of their forefathers, like the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob father, and that... They would not know who this God is. He's afraid that the name itself is not enough. And so God's going to gently take Moses through this situation, and he's going to explain to him a a few things. But look with me in verse 18 of chapter 3. It is okay for us to be afraid of certain things in life. But look at what God has told Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 18. He says this, the elders, listen, the elders will listen to you. This is a certainty. And then you and the elders of Israel, listen to this, you and the elders of Israel must go to the king. He's not going there by himself. They will believe you. And then look what it says, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. That is what the elders in Moses will tell Pharaoh. So when he, when he comes out and says, what if they don't believe me? Whoa, 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 just a second. God has already told you that they're going to believe you. He has told you back here that they will listen to you. They'll believe you. Not only they'll believe you, but they'll go with you and they will talk to Pharaoh the same things that we just presented to you. What happens when we focus so much on self is that we cannot see God for who he is and we give too much attention to what is not important. Like my excuses and my fears. Do you know that 91% of your fears will never come true? But here's the other side of this coin. If they come true, God is able to handle the other nine. So his objection here is, is great because throughout the Old Testament, what would happen? God said, evaluate the prophet. Evaluate the message. So throughout the Old Testament, the people would come over with God's message and they would say, evaluate what they're saying, right? If it is true, it will come true and it will be from God and God is going to move the nation. If it's not true, then there's consequences. So this is a pattern that God's going to establish here. But look at this. 
God is going to demonstrate his sufficiency by giving Moses right now three signs. And this is where we find ourselves in verse 2. So look, look with me in verse 2 again. The first sign is turning Moses' staff into a snake. Now, Hamilton was a commentator, and he suggests that the next three steps, or the next three signs, are for the purpose of expelling Moses' doubts. That which is supportive becomes useless, which is a snake. That which, or Moses' rod, I mean, that which is healthy becomes harmful, Moses' hand, and that which is pure becomes putrid, which is the water. Now, God will begin his demonstration by showing his sufficiency by using what is ordinary to become something extraordinary. God's going to use a staff from a shepherd which probably had his hand imprint on it to become something that was not able to become by itself. Moses says when he asks the question, what do you have in your hands? He says, I have a staff. So God's going to turn his staff into a snake. And the text says that Moses' response was to run away from it. Now, I want to say that's a wise man. That's a wise man. But in the sense that Moses probably saw snakes every single day of his life out in the desert. He's not running from something natural. He's running from a piece of wood that became an animal. And the miracle here is not for anybody else but Moses. Because God has says, I will be with you. Like the Zondervan commentary says that in, in ancient Egypt, there were some, some, some special texts that uh, exemplified the fact that magicians were able to turn snakes by um, hypnosis, turn snakes into a staff-looking animal because they would be so stiff that they would be standing up and you would be able to grab it by the tail. But now look at this. This is not a magical trick. God's not turning a snake into a snake that looks like a staff. He's turning a staff into a snake. And this is divine revelation to Moses. The snake here is a sign of the Egyptian royal authority, which in one way, what God is saying to Moses is that he's going to confront royalty in the other country that has oppressed and suppressed and enslaved my people. This will be a punishment. Just as God tells Moses to stretch out his hand and grab the snake by the tail, God says in chapter 3 that he will stretch his hand over in verse 20 and will strike the Egyptians. But you ask me, why is that? Look at with me in verse 5. Look what Moses writes. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now, in my house, I am known to make irrational decisions sometimes. I don't see any man shaking their heads at this point, and that's disappointing because you're lying. But I make irrational decisions. Let me tell you a secret. God doesn't. God doesn't. 
He's doing all these things so that they may believe. And who's they? The Israelites and the elders who will help Moses to get the nation not only out of Egypt, but out of Egypt into a promised land that he has promised all the way in the beginning of Genesis. To the man called Abraham. Now look at the second sign, verse 6 through 8. The second sign will be, Mo- will be turning Moses' hand into a sick hand and then back into a normal hand. Now, God will make Moses' own hand a demonstration of his power as well. And now it's going to come from, listen to this, he goes from an impersonal object, which is a staff, and now he's going to make a personal demonstration of his power. Okay? I have never had leprosy before, but I can't imagine God telling me, put your hand inside of your shirt and take it out, and all of a sudden I'm like... And then he's going to say, put it back in there and take it out, and it's normal again. God's going to use not only a demonstration of his power over what's impersonal, but he's going to say, hey, I can handle even the stuff that's on your own body because I created it. In the Old Testament, listen to this. In the Old Testament, skin diseases were often associated with a punishment for pride. Skin diseases were very common in the ancient Near East. But look at this. According to a commentator, he says, in Egypt, this type of disease was seen as a judgment and a curse, a punishment brought up by their gods on the person afflicted by the disease. So the significance of the sign seems to rely on the display that God's authority over disease and sicknesses, and as such may anticipate the affliction, listen, the affliction of pain in some of the future plagues that he will bring over the Egyptians. Do you remember I just said a few minutes ago? that God does everything for a purpose. God is slowly laying down the grounds for what he would do in the the future. And listen, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Did you notice that God's ability to heal what man cannot heal? Did you notice that? Did you notice his ability to transform what man cannot transform? This makes me think about a story I heard a long time ago, and it is a story about a conversation between God and a scientist. And the scientist comes to God and says, in his pride, and he says, I will make man. To which God says, really? How are you going to do that? And he says, I will make man out of clay. To which God responds to him, so please make your own clay. Now listen, this is God's power. This this is God's ability. This is God's way of dealing with this situation. And so God is not sparing, listen to this, any proof, any miracle, any power in order to communicate his commitment to Moses that he will free the nation through Moses who will be the mediator between him and the nation and also lead them to the promised land. So now if God is sufficient to rescue us, 
God is also sufficient to sustain you. He's rescuing the, the Israelites so that they might be free to worship Him. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he says that God has done all these things so that we may become living sacrifice for His glory. Now look at the last sign. Verse 9. It says this. If they do not believe even these two signs or listen to you, then take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. The water you take out of the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So now, this sign was significant because it was not related to anything that was taking place here. He's used an impersonal staff to make it a snake. He used a personal part of Moses' body to become sick and then to heal it. And now he's going to say, I'm going to do something in the future. Which means for you to be able to see that, you have to believe me and you have to obey and go. Denial here was the source, source of every good and all prosperity in the natural life of Egypt. And it was even identified with the god Osiris. If Moses, therefore, listen to what this guy says. If Moses, therefore, had the power to turn life-distributing water of the Nile into blood, he must also have received the power to destroy Pharaoh and all his gods and to deliver the people from Egypt and overcome all the obstacles that might come their way. Another commentary, commentator says this, this miracle would be devastating to Egypt because the Nile River was considered to be the lifeblood of Egypt from the Nile, creation was believed to be have sprouted. And it was the Nile that maintained and sustained life in Egypt. Do you remember what I just read? Maintain and sustain life. I'm saying God is sufficient to keep you and to sustain you. That fact that God could transform, the fact that God could transform the Nile water into blood reflects his sovereignty and power over, listen, the life giver of Egypt. So when he says, let my people go and worship me, he means it, what he says. Water here represents life. Blood's going to represent death. And unfortunately, it will be life to the Israelites and death to the Egyptians. God is doing all these things because he has chosen Moses as a mediator to mediate between him and his people to mediate between him and Pharaoh, and to mediate between him and Aaron, a man that God up to this point has not established or contacted or come to the conclusion that he would be part of the plan. Now think with me for a second. Moses become a mediator here. Later, God's going to establish Aaron as the priest over the nation of Israel. This will be a pattern in the Old Testament a pattern where the priest will, will intercede and, and be the mediator between God and the people of Israel through all the sacrifices and all the rituals and everything else that he's going to create. But in the Old Testament, God's going to establish the prophets, which would be men like Moses who would receive a message from God and send it out to the nation so that they may believe, they may repent if they're in sin, and they may move forward in a direction that God wants from them. And then later, God's going to establish his kingdom or a human kingdom where Saul and David and all those kings will reign and God's going to be 
going to be the mediator between God and, and his people, those, those kings. But it's interesting that this is extremely significant because in the New, New Testament it says when Jesus comes, it says that he will not only be the perfect mediator, but he will be a perfect mediator in the sense that he's the perfect priest. He's a perfect prophet, and he will be a perfect king. God, through Jesus, we will accomplish all these things where God in Jesus will become the perfect mediator between us and him. And that's why now we, it says that we have an open passage between us and the God of the universe. Now the question is, God has provided all those three miracles to Moses. And the question that we have yet to discover is, are you going to obey? And it is a question for you and me. Are you going to obey? Am I willing to obey? Now, God has dealt with his sufficiency. Now let's look at his provision. Verse 10, it says this. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. I'm not an eloquent man, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. If you go to Exodus chapter 6, verse 12 and verse 30, you're going to realize that, that Moses, when he writes, he says about himself that he has, his speech is dysfunctional. Okay? So there's a recognition that this guy might have a problem here, but we don't know exactly what that problem is. The Bible does not give us any details of what that problem is. We know from Acts chapter 7, later on, that Stephen is going to say that Moses was powerful in speech and in action. So which one is it? He probably does have a problem, but he will be mighty at the end of his life. Even throughout the Pentateuch, we realize that Moses is going to bring Aaron, and all of a sudden, Aaron's not even speaking much. Moses is doing all the speaking. Because God is sufficient to fulfill in Moses what he called Moses to do. And here's the secret. God is sufficient, sufficient to fulfill in you what God has called you to do. Now the point is this. Whatever the problem is, if it's legitimate or illegitimate, it's not enough to deflect God from his path of action. Do you know that there are a number of people who have speech problems? You might have watched the movie The King's Speech, King George the, the Sixth. Did you know that uh, some athletes have speech problems or have had speech problems before? Like guys like Tiger Woods? Do you know that actors like Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis also have had speech problems? Do you know that Winston Churchill had a speech problem, had a lisp that was corrected by a new pair of dentures? Now, if God, if, if human hands or human ability can help humans to fix some of their problems, can you imagine what God can do? Especially when he says, go. It's interesting that when God says go to him, 
And at the end of his life, he's going to tell Joshua to do the same thing. Go. God's going to be with you wherever you go. Let me ask you a question. Could God have made Moses from his mother's womb without a problem? Without a speech problem? Yes. Let me ask you a second question. Could God receive the glory through Moses' problem as he follows what God has said? Yes. Now, the question that comes to us, and here's the question I'll pose to you, is what kind of excuse are you giving? What kind of excuse are you giving? I, uh, I have given many in my own life. And the pastor is not supposed to be perfect because perfect is the one who calls the pastor, right? So let me give you a few. Because as I, write, as I wrote those, I realized that I'm not much different than you are. I've given the excuse, I've said before that I'm not as, as good as someone else. I'm not as gifted as someone else. I'm not as creative as I wish I was. I'm not as good of a student as I wish I was, and that is actually a true fact. I'm not as strong of a man as I wish I were, and as I see some of you men here. I'm not as good of a husband or a father as some of you. I'm not as good of a speaker as someone else. Well, I came from a dysfunctional family, so God cannot do anything for me. What about this one? I have an accent and you don't. Can you, can you think with me for a second how bad things would be if I felt like I stepped up here and I could not read scriptures as Chris Waterman does? <laughs> or if I was not able to lead the tech team like Nate Fletcher does? Or if I was not able to actually play guitar and sing as well as Austin Myers? Can you imagine if I came up here and I, and, I, and I felt so bad that I wasn't able to be organized, as organized as Amy Flynn? Or as enthusiastic as Tom Flynn out there? <laughs> uh, can you imagine if I stood up here before you and I told you I wasn't qualified because I'm not as gifted of a speaker as Dr. Hoffritz and I don't have as many degrees as he does? What if I believed that my action was a detriment to the gospel? What if maybe I believed that uh, God made a mistake when he made me? I've believed all these lies before. And so have you. But that's not what God says about us, is it? 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise, and God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. I'd much, much rather be in that category. What about you? Moses was no different. Listen to what he says, verse 11. Listen to God's response here. God's response is going to be interesting. The Lord said to him, Who gave your mouth to man, or who makes a person mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? 
So now go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you must say. Go. The Lord has already asked, uh, asked Moses a question, right? He asked in, in, verse, in verse 2, he said, Moses, what do you have in your hands? Now he's going to ask him a ton of questions here. And I think, and here's what, I, I want to step back from this a little bit, and I want to say, here's what I think. I think God is asking Moses all those questions for the same reason he allows us to read those questions in a personal level. He's evaluating our spiritual uh, heart. He wants to evaluate our spiritual condition. Now, let me, let me, let me show to you what I mean by this. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, God says to Adam and Eve, where are you? In verse 11, he says, who told you you're naked? In Genesis 32, verse 27, he says to, to Jacob, he says, what is your name? In 1 Kings 19, 11, he's going to tell Elijah, he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, he's going to say, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? In Jonah chapter 4, verse 4, he's going to say, Jonah, who made you angry? And then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is going to ask 339 questions. God is using all those questions so that we can evaluate where we are in relationship to Him. And Moses is, is the recipient of those same questions because God wants Moses to evaluate his spiritual condition before he makes a commitment to God. God is sovereign over mankind, whether a person sees or not, hears or not, speaks or not. The fact that God is sending Moses is enough. And that was Moses' concern in the beginning. Is it enough? Do you know that Albert Einstein didn't speak for the first three years of his life? And that later on he became Albert Einstein. Did you know that Vincent van Gogh painted over 900 pictures, but he only sold one during this, his lifetime? Do you know that Thomas Edison failed between 1,000 and 10,000 times before he was able to come up with a light bulb? Do you know that Bethany Hamilton, a 13-year-old girl who was a surfer, had her arm bit off by a shark two years after that. She did not give up her dreams and she ended up winning a national championship with one arm surfing? Are you kidding me? I can't stand up on a surfboard, even on the sand with my two arms, much less if I had one. Do you know that Walt Disney was was fired from his, first, from his first job because the editor said he was not creative enough? Are you kidding me? If those people can overcome their problems apart from God, much more we. Because God just told Moses, I will be with you. I will use your mouth. There's no excuses here. And so in verse 13, we see that Moses, look at his. But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. You know what he came down to? This guy is unwilling to go. And so the, gra the graphic idea here is that God gets so angry with him. In verse 14, it says that God became angry in, uh, with Moses and said, 
What about your brother Aaron? The idea of, of, of anger here is that of a bull that it has like raging fire coming out of his nostrils. That's the first time in Scripture that God is angry, and it's not pretty, but even in the midst of his anger, listen to this, even in the midst of his anger, he still wants to provide for this man because he's on a mission to take his people out of slavery into freedom to worship him. And so Moses, for the first time, I believe Moses sins because now he's unwilling to obey. It was okay to ask questions, God. It was okay for you to give me information, but now it's not okay for you not to obey. And that is a sin. He could not speak well. He says, I cannot speak well, but guess what? Later on, he's going to be speaking pretty fine, isn't he? To the point that God says, I know that he can speak, talking about Aaron, very well. Moreover, he's coming to meet you, which is, look at this. God knows what's coming. He knows the future. I know Aaron, he speaks really well. And by the way, I know he's coming. He's going to visit you, and he's going to be really glad to hear this. This what? That we will get the people out of oppression into freedom. And Moses is going to become the mediator now between his brother and God. Now, here's one thing that you need to know. God is not relieving Moses from his obligation. It's not God is saying, Moses, I got you. It's okay. We're, we're, going, to find, we're going to find a plan right now. You don't have to, to worry about it. We'll get your brother here. You can just sit on the couch, get some popcorn, watch a movie, and that's going to be great. No. You're not off the hook. And if God has called you to do something, let me just warn you right now, you are not off the hook. Aaron's going to become a blessing, but listen to this. I believe that when we disobey God and we don't obey him, even what looks like a blessing can become a curse. Later on, the very same man who will be the mouth speak of God to the people will be the one that's going to build a golden calf with his own hands so they can worship a false idol. So verse 15 to 17 says this, and so you are to speak to him and to put the words in his mouth. You're still doing the speaking, buddy. And as for me, I will be with you and your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what you must, must do. He will speak for you to the people, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were his God. You will also take, your, take your sta- your, you'll also take in your hand this staff with which you will do many signs. Moses is going about to abandon his shepherding life, but he's not going to abandon this staff. And all that because the raised staff will cause the water of the Red Sea to part and allow Moses to shepherd his people through to the other side and onto the Mount Horeb. God will use this symbol of lowliness and unimportance to bring about the central salvific act of the Old Testament. So here's the key. Moses, don't forget your staff. Now let me give you some principles about this passage. Really quickly, you have down them in your notes. Number one, as believers, we must be confident in God's sufficient power to call us and to sustain us through the journey. 
Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6 says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. B, as believers, we must not focus on our imperfections but we must be reminded that our imperfections in the hands of a perfect God can become a powerful tool for His divine purpose. And see, as believers, we must avoid excuses and simply trust God as He guides us and provides, us, provides for us. And Jeremiah says, Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Let me close with this quote from the bottom of your paper. Consider the mighty ways in which God used a dead stick of wood. God so used a stick of wood can, he, can be a banner cry for each of us. Though we are limited and weak in talent, physical energy, and psychological strength, we are not less than a stick of wood. But as the rod of Moses had to become the rod of God so that which is me must become the me of God. Then I can become useful in God's hands. The scripture emphasizes that much can, be, can, can come from little if little is truly consecrated to God. That can be you. And I know for certain that that is me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your sufficiency. We thank you that you are a God who controls all things. You are a God who loves us. You're a God who provides. And Father, I pray that we would trust in you to the point that we would leave our excuses behind and that we would look forward to the cross of Jesus, the perfect mediator. Thank you for Moses. Thank you for the biblical principles we can gather from his life. And I pray, Father, that we would Strive to be like your son, Jesus.